Matthew chapter 7, and verse 12. Let's read it all together. Matthew 7, verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You may be seated. This morning in our sermon, we plan to look at another portion of Scripture that is well-known, often quoted, and recognized by people around the world, many of whom do not even realize that it is a quote of Jesus, or even that it comes from the Scripture, from the Bible. I read one uh, source this week that mentioned that probably, or perhaps three Quotes that every American can quote would include the Pledge of Allegiance, the first lines of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and the Golden Rule. Well, that was one person's opinion. Um, The Golden Rule of those three is known far beyond the bounds of this country around the world. This verse is fascinating in numerous aspects. One way is that it is one of the concise summaries of the Bible. Jesus had a way, many times, of making a very simple and yet profound statement that just included so much. When I was teaching school, I had a co-teacher that told his students at the beginning of the year He said, we only need to have one rule in our classroom this year. I may have mentioned that here before. Often at the beginning of a year, a teacher will go over a list of rules for the classroom. He said, really, there's only one rule we need, and that rule is this. You as students are responsible at all times to know what I want you to do and to do it. He said, we don't need any more rules than that. And uh, that's kind of what reminds me, or the reminds me of the sermon or the, uh, the golden rule here. Basically, within us, we often know what we should do. I told my students in, in relation to that, I said, we are not going to have a rule this year that you may not write on the walls. I said, we don't need to have a rule like that because you know that without having a rule. And many times, we simply know what is right and what is wrong. And that's kind of the basis of this verse here. You know within yourself. So Jesus is presenting this somewhat as a a one-rule statement. It just kind of encapsulates the, uh, the whole idea. It's somewhat a summary of the entire Sermon on the Mount in this one concise statement. You simply do what is right. Uh, sometimes back we had a uh, minister here who used the expression, do the next right thing. And often... You might know, you might not know what's right, you know, down the road, weeks from now, days from now, but often we know what is the next right thing, and it says we need to do the next right thing. Not only is this verse a summary of the Sermon on the Mount, it's really a summary of the entire scriptures that were known at that point, the Law and the Prophets, the Old Testament. It's basically what it's all about. Let's uh, consider this idea a little bit farther of this verse being a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Let's look, break down the Sermon on the Mount into portions. The first 16 verses could be considered a, an introduction, kind of a, a preface to the Sermon on the Mount. It includes the Beatitudes. It includes the verses about you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. It's just uh, kind of the attention-getting uh, beginning to the Sermon on the Mount. And then in verse 17, we have an introduction to the theme, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And the Sermon on the Mount embodies that fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Well, then we have the body of the sermon. From that point in chapter 5, verse 18, through chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus covers many different subjects in there, kind of the body of the sermon. And then some people consider today's verse, verse 12, as the summary of the sermon. And notice again that repeated phrase that we find in the introduction. In the introduction, Jesus says, I am come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And now here in the summary of the sermon, this statement basically uh, encaptures that again, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, where Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. And then the concluding verses of the, of the sermon, 17 to 29, would be Jesus' concluding challenges, a uh, number of very interesting challenges that he gives to just kind of bring this sermon to a conclusion. Matthew 7, 12 has been called the Mount Everest of ethics. In other words, the high point of ethics. It is something that applies to all people in all times and in all situations. The title of the sermon this morning, as you've already noticed, is Five Nuggets from the Golden Rule. And what we want to do is just look at, at five nuggets of truth that we can find as we look not only at this one verse, but the, uh, the context in which it is found. Nugget number one, Jesus calls us to a higher level of living. Now, our human nature tells us to do unto others as they do unto us. If, they're, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you try to pull one over on me, I'll probably try to pull a bigger one over on you. That's our human nature. Do unto others as they do unto us, or maybe even do unto others worse than they do unto us. Or some would say do unto others before they do unto you to get the jump on the situation. But Jesus calls us to a higher level of living. Do unto others as ye would that they should do unto you. You may have heard that this statement is not original with Jesus, that he was merely quoting someone else. And historians tell us that there were a number of people or sources prior to Jesus' time who made statements similar to this. In fact, I understand that there's a similar statement found in the Apocrypha, which includes some uh, intertestamental writings before the time of the New Testament. Socrates was a Greek philosopher who lived about 400 years before Jesus. He is credited with making a similar statement. Confucius was a Chinese philosopher who lived about 500 years before Jesus. He is credited with a similar statement. 
And Buddha was an Indian teacher who lived perhaps 600 years before Christ, is also credited with a similar statement. However, there is an outstanding difference between what these men taught and what Jesus taught. The statement from each of the sources I just mentioned was basically this. Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Do you notice the difference? There's a pretty striking difference, a very significant difference. Do not do what you don't want others to do versus do all things that you do want others to do. So if Jesus was referring to the statement of what these other men said, he was taking it to a much higher level. He could have prefaced this verse by saying, ye have heard that it hath been said, do not do what you don't want others to do, but I say unto you, do, do what you would like others to do. He is calling us to a higher level of teaching. In the philosopher's form of this teaching, it was possible to obey what they said by doing absolutely nothing at all. You just don't do what you don't want other people to do. You don't want people to hurt you, so you don't hurt them. That's it. You could be a hermit. You could totally isolate yourself from the world and obey that verse. But in Jesus' form of this teaching, you cannot obey it by doing nothing at all. This verse is a call to action. It's an action verse. You have to do whatever it is that you wish others to do. It's impossible to obey this verse by doing nothing at all. James, in chapter 4, verse 17, says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, <clears throat> and doeth it not to him, it is sin. So this verse calls us to action. Jesus calls us to a much higher level of living. It's an all-inclusive verse. Jesus says, do all things. He doesn't say, do most things. Do all things. He does not say, do some things or the kinds of things, but do all things. There is no end to our obligation. You see, we are never finished obeying the golden rule. We can never say, okay, I've done that now. I'm going to move on to something else. But all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye to them. Some versions miss that word all. They just say, whatever ye wish others to do. And I understand that the term all things or everything, which the NIV uses, is the most accurate representation of the Greek. So Jesus is calling us to a higher level of living. We hear lots of good teaching, lots of influences, but a lot of that is lacking what Jesus is actually teaching. He's calling us to a higher level of living. Let's move on to nugget number two. There is a supreme and divine motivation behind this verse. I want to emphasize that the motivation in this verse is not to obtain favorable results. If we're honest, we would probably need to acknowledge that we have been taught some less than desirable motives for obeying this verse. When we were little, 
probably many of us were told, if you want others to be nice to you, you have to be nice to them. If you want your friends to share their toys with you, you need to share your toys with them. Or if you want to have good neighbors, you need to be a good neighbor. Now those verses or those statements may be true, and they, uh, they appear to be applications to this verse, the golden rule, but they are falling far short of what this verse teaches. And what is wrong with those statements? If you want people to be nice to you, you have to be nice to them. What's wrong with that statement? It's self-serving. The ultimate motivation is for what you can get out of it. I'm going to be nice to you so that you're nice to me. The underlying motive, motivation behind these statements is nothing less than selfishness. And selfishness is the root of nearly every sin that besets us. Just think about it. Most sins that we commit are because we are either trying to promote ourselves in some way or we're trying to protect ourselves. And that is selfishness. There's nothing at all golden about a spirit of selfishness. Because the golden rule is not self-serving. It's all about serving others. We should be nice to others even if we know they will never be nice to us. We should share our toys even if we know that we will get nothing in return. That's what we should be teaching our children. Share your toys because it's the right thing to do. Not share your toys so your friends share their toys with you. That's really not the motivation. I read a quote this week. Actually, I, I googled the question, why is this verse called the golden rule? And one response was, the reason it's called the golden rule is that it has such a high payoff associated with it. And that just reflects our spirit of selfishness. It's all about me. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's about service. The golden rule is not an investment. It's a donation. You're not investing to get a return, but there's no strings attached. So the motivation behind this is not what we can get out of it. It's not to obtain favorable results. I'd like to take that a little bit further. The motivation is not simply fulfilling the law and the prophets. Now, that's certainly part of it, as indicated in this verse, for this is the law and the prophets. But the law and the prophets only point us towards the real motivation. What are the law and the prophets? The law and the prophets are the revelation of the will and the character of God. So the law and the prophets is simply pointing us towards the real motivation, which has to do with who God is. I would say that the motivation for this verse is to reflect the goodness of God. Notice how this verse begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you. Or, because of this, all things that you would that men should do to you. Because of what? Well, you've heard before, when you see a word therefore, you need to go back and see what it's referring to. Look at the preceding statement, the end of verse 11. 
Well, let's, let's include a little bit more. Verses 7 to 11 talk about prayer. It talks about asking God. But more than that, it talks about God responding to our prayers, giving us good things. And 7 concludes, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? It's a reflection of God's character. Our God is a good God, therefore... Because of who God is, you should reflect his goodness in your relating to other people. And you do that by treating them the way you would like to be treated. Because of all that God did for us, we should do good to others. Did God provide a house for you to live in? Share it. Did God give you a car? Share it. Use it for others. Did God give you salvation? Share that plan with others because of what God did for you. You should do unto others. If you were lost, headed for eternal damnation, would you want people to share the message of the gospel with you? Of course you would. Therefore, as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to others. Our obligation is to share the goodness of God, share the news of salvation. Did God show you his love? Love others. Did God sacrifice for you? Sacrifice for others. Because of who God is, that is the motivation for this verse. I believe that to not do good to other people when we have the opportunity is a slap in the face of God, the God who has done so much for us. When we consider the extent of God's generosity and goodness to us, it should drive us to generosity to everyone we meet. Earlier in this same sermon, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That is the supreme divine motivation behind the golden rule, to reflect the goodness of God to everyone around us so that they can glorify him. So the second nugget is the motivation behind this verse is to bring glory to God. It's not a self-serving verse for what I can get out of it. Nugget number three, our prayer life is affected by our relationships. Now, I already mentioned the verses immediately preceding verse 12 pertain to prayer, bringing our petitions to God, asking, seeking, knocking. And this verse, or this teaching, is immediately followed by verse 12, teaching on how we should relate to others. Is there a connection here? I think there is. This is not an isolated incident where Jesus associates or where the Bible associates prayer with our relations with other people. In the previous chapter, in chapter 6, we have what we call the Lord's Prayer. And immediately following that prayer are a couple verses about how we relate to other people, about forgiving people. You know, those two verses in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, almost seem to be off the subject. Jesus is talking about not doing your alms to be seen of men. 
Then he's talking about not praying to be seen of men. Then he talks about not fasting just to be seen of men. But right in the middle of that, he inserts these verses about forgiveness. Why? Because he was talking about prayer, and our prayer is affected by our relationships. I mentioned this is not an isolated incident. In James 4, James talks about wars and fightings among you. And right after that, he says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. Is James simply jumping around from one subject to another? He goes from wars and fightings to prayer? Is he a rambling, disorganized speaker? Or is there some connection here? I propose to you that there is a connection because our prayers are affected by our relationships. There's another example in 1 Peter 3. Peter addresses the relationships and the behavior of husbands and wives in the first seven verses of this chapter. In verse 7, he tells the husbands, give honor unto the wife as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Again, is he beginning to ramble? Hopefully by now you're seeing there is a connection. Our prayers and our relationships affect each other, or our prayers are affected by our relationships. Let's go back to this passage here in Matthew chapter 7, our text today. In our last sermon we observed how so often we miss the big picture when we just zero in on one word or phrase. It's like focusing on a leaf and missing the tree. Or in music, we used that illustration. If you just focus on one note or even on one measure of music, you really miss the beauty of the song. It's the same way in Scripture. If you focus only in one verse, you miss the significance of the entire message. We noticed how that the promise last week, ask and ye shall receive, or in the last message, is specifically for those who embrace and obey the teachings and the principles of Christ's kingdom here on earth. And now we observe that this promise of prayer is somehow connected to our relationships with other people here on earth. And I think we learn from this that prayer is not merely an activity, but it's a lifestyle. It's something that needs to be our attitude of life through all that we do. And that includes our relationships with others. We should relate to others in an attitude of prayer. Our relationships with others should be carried out in such a way that I can be in a prayerful attitude as I relate to other people. If I'm trying to take advantage of someone, if I'm doing a shady deal with someone, I'm probably not in a very prayerful attitude as I'm carrying that out. If I'm angry with another person, I'm probably not in a very prayerful attitude while I'm carrying that out. Just this uh, past week, I had an encounter with someone. Several weeks ago, I had taken a vehicle there that I needed to have some body work done on it. And when I took it there, I told him, now, I think what this vehicle needs is, is this and this and this. And the man was very emphatic. Oh, you don't need to do all that. Just, just do this, and that'll be good enough. 
And he was so emphatic that finally I said, well, okay, just, just do that then. Well, I went back this week, and almost nothing was done after being there for way too long. And what happened is this man got kind of overwhelmed with it, and he started telling me, he said, when you brought this vehicle here, I told you you needed to do this and this and this, and you said, no, I only want that done. He told me the exact opposite of what our conversation was. And I wasn't really impressed. And to be honest, at that moment, I wasn't in a very prayerful attitude. Uh, probably I should have been. My response to him may have been more Christ-like. But if we can relate to others in a way that we are in a, a prayerful attitude, it makes a big difference in how we relate to others. And then we can relate to them as we would like them to relate to us. When we try to take advantage of other people, not only will we lose our prayerful attitude, but I think that our prayers will lose their effectiveness because our prayers are affected by our relationships. Well, let's go on to nugget number four. If we would live this verse, it would change our world. If everyone would live this verse, imagine how different this world would be. Now, this verse I mentioned encapsulates nearly all the teachings of Jesus in one concentrated, concise statement. And if we would apply this verse to all areas of our life, many of the specific teachings of Jesus would barely even be necessary. I'll take it for example. This really is the only verse that you need to be totally convinced that it is wrong for a follower of Jesus to be involved in war. Just, just suppose that you would be part of an army and imagine that you're part of an army maybe fighting for the Taliban or ISIS or something like that. And obviously, in that case, you would be seriously misguided. You would be deceived if you're fighting for one of those groups and for the values they stand for. But if that were the case and you were fighting for them, would your response be, oh yes, I want you to come and fight against me and kill me and banish me to eternal damnation, to hell. That's what I want. That idea is absurd. None of us would say that if we'd be in that situation. None of us would say, if I would be on the other side, I would want to be killed and condemned. You see, the golden rule just makes it so obvious that fighting in the military is wrong. The golden rule makes it so obvious that many of the teachings of Jesus make sense when we really think about them and put them into perspective. Now, for us, that might be an extreme example, fighting in the, in the war. We have a pretty strong um, position on non-resistance, and I think most of us support that. This would change our world, but let's bring it more personal. If we would live this verse, it would also change our church. Think about all the things that you appreciate in your church, the things that you appreciate in your brothers and sisters. Are you what you appreciate in others? This morning we talked about Sunday school. Do you appreciate your Sunday school class? 
Do you appreciate your Sunday school teacher? If so, are you willing to teach? I think the golden rule may apply there. Now, I know um, we have all kinds of excuses there. Uh, You can come up with a lot of excuses. I want to be kind, but most of them are exactly that, an excuse. This is one area where we can apply the golden rule. And uh, I appreciate the willingness of many of you, kind of like Tony expressed today. It's, uh, it's, It's a tremendous blessing. And many times I have been blessed when asked, someone here to do something, serving a shared devotion or something like that. And some of the responses I receive are, well, you know, I'm not real comfortable, but that would be a, a real good experience for me. That, that's an area I need to grow in. So yes, I would, I would be glad to, to do that. And that is simply doing your part of things that you appreciate in others. I think if we would live this verse, it would change our world, it would change our church life, it would change our family, our home life, it would change our lives. I'd like to give you a challenge. It's very easy to sit in church on a Sunday morning, and at the end of the sermon, you say, well, that was challenging, and you go out the door, and you leave it there. My challenge to you is to make it a goal to remind yourself of this verse five or ten times every day for the following week. Do you think you can do that? If you would like to accept that challenge but you're afraid you'll forget, all you need to do is ask someone close to you to remind you. And they'll probably find several or numerous occasions to remind you to remember this challenge. Accept a challenge. Try to remind yourself of this verse five or ten times every day for the following week and just see what a change it makes in how we relate to others. Let's move on to nugget chapter or nugget number five. Uh, before we move into this last nugget, Uh, Recently, I've been reminded kindly by someone that um, when I preach, people can kind of expect a sermon that goes in the long side. Now, uh, I know that we all appreciate when a preacher practices what he preaches, so I thought maybe I'll try to obey the golden rule today and keep my sermon a little bit shorter. So we're ready for nugget number five, and that is the golden rule cannot save you. You will not obtain salvation simply by obeying this rule. It simply isn't possible. You remember that I said earlier in this message that a similar thought to this was expressed by Socrates and Confucius and Buddha? Can Socrates save you? Could he save the Greeks? Could Confucius save or Buddha? Absolutely not. Acts chapter 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Neither will trying to practice this verse save you. It is not a salvation issue. It's an issue of reflecting God's goodness to others. You need more than just a rule. You need Jesus Christ and this verse 
is simply an expression of that salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Christ, when we are in Christ, then he will make all things new in our life, and we will be able to express this verse to others. Gold is used by many people as a standard of value. How valuable is something? They use gold as a standard. So I'll leave you with a couple questions. Will you value this verse? Does this value or does this verse have a golden value to you? And will you value your relations, your relationships, your interactions with other people around you? And most of all, will you value portraying God's goodness to the world? Your heavenly Father shall give good things. He does give good things to them that ask him. Therefore, because of who he is, our obligation is to do unto others as we would have them to do unto us. There's many ways we could try to rationalize this verse, but I firmly believe that it's not here for us to rationalize, but for us to obey and to put into practice. Let's kneel for prayer. Lord, we thank you again for your wonderful and your beautiful and your meaningful teachings that we find in this beautiful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And Lord, I thank you for this verse, that it is not simply a, a goal that we need to strive to meet up to, but it's a reflection of who you are and a reflection of what you have done for us and a reflection of your goodness and that we in turn share that goodness with others, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Lord, I pray that this week, as we interact with people, that our interactions could be a motivation for people around us to glorify you, and that your name would be lifted up, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>